Well, good morning again to everyone. It's great to see you. My first order that I have to remember to do is if you are in Grace Kids, you are dismissed. So you can head right out this door right there. We'll see you guys later, all right? Thanks for joining us for singing this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, and I'll be honest, some of us have met, and I don't remember your names. So if we haven't met yet, please come again and introduce yourself to me. If we haven't met, my name is Corey. I get the honor and privilege of being the lead pastor at Grace Family Church. It's the first time I've been able to say that publicly, and it feels really cool. Um, it was great to be able to sit up here with Pastor Tim and Pastor Andrew uh, last week and kind of have that baton handed off, and I really appreciated that time. Um, I really appreciated Pastor Andrew and Pastor Tim being up here and being a part of that. And so it's just fun for me to be able to come and share with you today for the first time myself um, and to be able to start a brand new series with you. So we're going to kick off a series called Anchored. And we used this graphic. You can see it behind me. We've got it. Uh, we'll put it up on the screens for you as well. And so we're going to start here. Um, and the reason we're starting here and the reason that I'm starting this series is because if you don't, if you haven't been connected with Grace Family, if you are new to the group or you haven't even heard this before, right, there are three shared commitments that Grace Family has uh, and in common with the rest of our Karis Fellowship as well. Now, again, I met, I have some people that came today that this is one of their first times, and so you're, you're not necessarily familiar with this idea of Karis Fellowship. What does that mean? You and I would have something in common. Because eight years ago, I didn't know what Karis Fellowship was. I didn't know what Grace Brethren was. And so I was hired at a church called Gateway, and so I got to know a little bit about who the Karis Fellowship is, what Grace Brethren means, and all that kind of fun stuff. And the great thing about the Karis Fellowship is the way that we can connect with each other as churches. And so these three shared commitments that we're going to walk through starting this week and going over the next couple of weeks are the commitments that we as a group of churches have committed to, and they work well because they're commitments that we should hold as a church looking at other churches, and they also work well because they're commitments that we should have personally and be able to share with one another so that we can encourage one another in these things. And so we're going to kick that off this week. Here are the three things that are shared commitments in the Karis Fellowship. The first thing is truth. And the statement goes like this. We believe the Bible and hold it as our authority. So when we look at scripture, maybe you've got your Bible with you. Maybe you've just got it on, on your phone, whichever works right for you. When we look at this, we would say that we believe all of scripture is true, that it was given to us by God, and it is the authority under which we live our life. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is this. It's relationship. And the statement of the Karis Fellowship is our churches care for one another in Christian love. But as we think about it in this context, we could say that we just simply care for one another in Christian love. We would look at each other as parts of the local church and we would connect with one another. We would care for one another. We would build that relationship in order to help each other grow spiritually with one another. And then the third thing is this, it's mission. And simply is stated this way, together we strive to accomplish the great commission, which is the mission that Jesus gave us. And so we strive not only as a church that's a part of a greater fellowship of churches, but we strive as a church body, as individuals, to encourage others and to reach others with the good news that we believe we have in Scripture. 
And so for the next three weeks, this is what we're going to dive into. And the reason we've called it Anchored is because this is something that we want to have as a foundation, right? And Anchor is something that holds you still. It's something that you use to keep you in place. And so these three things, we believe, if we truly believe them and put them into practice, they're going to anchor and give us a good foundation of our faith that's going to cause us to grow spiritually. And they'll cause us to grow as individuals. They'll cause us to grow as a church family and as a fellowship as well. So we're going to dive in. This is week one. So we're going to dive into this idea of biblical truth and authority and talk through that this morning. But before we do that, I just want to pray together before we look into God's word. Lord, we thank you for this morning again. We thank you that we are able to come uh, and sing together and look into your word together. We also thank you that even if we are not sitting in this room, we can connect together with a body of believers, whether it's watching on live stream or it's listening later. We thank you for the avenues you've given us to be able to do that in a, in a time such as this. And we just ask that this morning we would hear from your word, that we would address questions and thoughts and concerns and maybe even doubts that we have, um, and we would be able to grow together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there are a few questions I want to answer for us today, or at least talk through. And question number one is, can I trust the Bible? Now, I don't know about you, but over the last few decades, right, if we look back through history, the Bible has been held in some authority in our culture, but slowly that has slipped away a little bit. And that's not to, to express frustration in that. It's just to kind of give us a reality, right? The scriptures have slowly, and the idea of the Bible as a whole, has slowly kind of lost its momentum in our culture. It still holds some strongholds, like uh, whenever there's an inauguration, I think this still happens, right? They put their hand on a Bible and they vow, right, to lead our country as best as we can. When you go up before a judge, you do the same thing, right? People still look at it and say, well, if you're going to swear on something, it should probably be the Bible, right? So we use that in certain ways. But in other ways, it has slowly slipped away. And one of the questions that we get a lot is, can I really trust this book? Can I really look at its truths, look at its stories, look at what's in it, and say, yes, I absolutely believe that they are true. Maybe for some of us, we fit into four different categories. Maybe the category, the first category, maybe this is you. You're like me. Maybe you grew up in church. You've gone to church for as long as you can remember, right? There may not be a time where you ever remember not going to church, right? Your parents always took you or dragged you or bribed you, right? There was just, they just got you there, right? And so you grew up that way and, and, and you learned about scripture from the beginning. And so in Sunday school class or in church or wherever you were at home with your parents, they always just taught you that the Bible is the authority on your life. It's truth. The stories are true. This is what we believe. And you just always went with it, right? It just was what you remembered. Maybe some of you, that thought process came a little later in life, right? And so at some point, you, you weren't taught that the scriptures were true. You didn't grow up in church necessarily. But at some point, somebody shared the Bible with you, shared the truth, shared about Jesus with you, and you made the decision that you were then going to believe that, and you put your faith in Jesus, and you decided to walk down that path, and you continued to grow, whether that was middle school, high school, college, later in adulthood, whenever that was, right? So you made that transition in your life. For some of us maybe sitting here or watching online, maybe that's just not true. You don't believe that the Bible is true. And you haven't grown up in a culture or a context where scripture was held in high regard. And if that's you, first of all, I'm thankful that you're sitting here. I'm thankful that you're watching. 
and, or listening later and haven't turned off the podcast yet. But that's a reality for many people. Is that they would look at scripture and say, how can you believe the Bible, right? I've taught um, high school apologetics for the last two years. And one of the things I would say to my students was you have to recognize from the other side of the spectrum, from people that don't, didn't grow up in church, there's some pretty weird stuff in here, right? There's some pretty odd things that we as Christians just say, oh yeah, absolutely true, for sure, right? If someone ever had to cross a river and you crossed over first and then you went on and somebody was following you and they had to cross that, you'd say, how'd you get across? You're dry. And they said, oh, I walked through on dry land. It just parted and I walked through. It was totally fine. God did it for me, right? You would never believe that. And so there's some pretty fantastical things in here. And so the question really comes to, right, can we believe it? I think there's actually a fourth category that is a real reality for many Christians. We might have come to the place where we grew up being taught that the Bible was true. And as we've gotten older, we've looked at some of these stories and said, I don't know that that's really true. Let me say to you, if that's you, if there's a doubt in your mind of whether the Bible is true, that's an okay place to be in. But we've got to continue to ask more questions and examine why we think that. Because if we can't address our doubts or we can't look at Scripture and say this is why we believe it, then our faith in it is empty anyway. So this question of can I trust the Bible, you might be in one of those four camps. Maybe there's another one I missed. But what I would encourage you to do is whether you've you've ascribed to it, you would say, yes, Pastor Corey, today I believe this is true and you will never tell me otherwise. I'm glad that that's you. If you're on the other side of the spectrum, you say, Pastor Corey, I will never believe that the Bible is true. Here's what I want all of us to do. Let's just listen for the next little bit and kind of engage in this conversation together and say, okay, if my, if my stance is the Bible is 100% true, I will never let it go. Just think about it from the other side so that if somebody ever comes to you and says, I don't believe it, tell me why I should. We can have a real conversation about that. If you're on the other side and you say, I don't believe it at all, I would say, hey, just give me 20 minutes and let's talk about it and see why we think we can actually trust the Bible. So in this first question, can I trust the Bible? I want to go to a couple of different ideas. We're going to talk about the idea of prophecy first. So prophecy is something that happens in scripture because we get information. There's two parts of the Bible, right? In the Old Testament, there's New Testament. Split it in half, right? When we get that information in the Old Testament, some of it is given to us as a prophecy. And what that means is it's an idea that will come up later, right? We're getting information that's going to come true later. And so the question that we can ask is, are the prophecies in the Old Testament coming true in the New Testament? And what would that do for us? Well, that shows us that the Bible holistically, we can see that it's giving us one truth and then having it be fulfilled. It gives it a lot of credibility, right? I wanna show two prophecies. And the first one I wanna go to is Micah 5, 2, okay? So here's what it is, and you can see it up on the screen there. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I think I'm saying that right, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Now, I had a very important question someone asked me last week. Okay, they came up to me. They said, Pastor Corey, I have a very important question. I said, okay, shoot. They said, how soon is too soon to start playing Christmas music? And I said normally I say wait till after Thanksgiving. 
in 2020, anything goes. So if you wanted to start it in like July, we're all on board with that, right? But if you're ready for Christmas, here's your little bit of Christmas in this prophecy, right? Micah gives, gives us these words, and he's, he's talking about Bethlehem, a small village. But from that village will come a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past, and they will come on God's behalf, right? Do we know that this was fulfilled in the New Testament? Yes. And we see that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So there's your little bit of Christmas for today, right? But it's talking about the Savior of the world, the, the central idea of Scripture, the central person of Scripture is Jesus. And so we're talking about that. We see that that comes true. The next prophecy I want to go to, a little bit different, but it's in Zechariah 12, 10. It says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me, whom they have pierced, and mourn for him as, as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. Now let's talk about that one for a minute. As maybe people who are followers of Jesus and people who have ascribed themselves to biblical truth for a while, you would see that phrase maybe in Zechariah 12.10. And you would say, I see that word pierced. That means that Jesus was crucified. But here's the crazy thing, is that Zechariah would not have known what crucifixion was. That wasn't invented yet. And so as Zechariah is giving us this prophecy, he's prophesying about how Jesus is going to be killed, but he doesn't know how he's going to be killed yet. He also talks in this verse about the spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David. We know Jesus came from the line of David. He was born in the city of David in Jerusalem, and that we know he was God's only son. There are many, many prophecies in Scripture, some of which we can see come true already, some in the New Testament, some that we're still waiting to come true, right? But what we see as we look at the Bible holistically, looking at its two halves, are that it gives us truth at the beginning, and it fulfills the truth partway through, and we can count on that truth, some of that truth, we're still counting on come to pass. So when we look at Scripture and we look at maybe the Old Testament, we look at some of the difficult teachings in the Old Testament, we look at what's going on and we say, can we really trust that this is true? Can a book that's thousands of years old still hold truth that's for us today? Well, here's what I would say. The Bible can give us a future looking into what's happening and then have it come true. That's a pretty incredible thing for a book to be able to do or for writers of a book to be able to do. There have been other prophecies, right, that have not come true. In fact, I remember when I was in college, uh, I think there was someone who said that the world was going to end in 2011. Does anyone remember that? So I had a buddy at the time who owned a Dairy Queen, and he was working at Dairy Queen. He owns multiple now. He was really cool in college. We loved going to hang out at Dairy Queen and eat all the ice cream we wanted. But he had somebody come in and he was having a conversation with this customer. And this customer said, it was a few months before the world, I think it was in May, maybe the world was supposed to end. A few months before that, and my friend said to him, you really believe that the world's going to end in, in May of 2011? I said, absolutely. My friend Caleb said, all right, I'll give you 100 bucks for all your stuff. He said, what? He said, I'll give you $100 for all your stuff. The guy said, why would I give you all my stuff? He said, you believe it's going to be over soon anyway, so why don't you just give me all your stuff, right? That prophecy didn't come true. We're still standing here, right? Some don't come true. But when we can look into Scripture and see prophecies that did come true, it gives us a lot of evidence 
for this book and why we can believe it. There's one other thing I want to talk about when, we, when we're asking this question, can I trust the Bible? It's a big word called historicity. Let me just explain what that means, right? It means when we look at Scripture from a historical perspective, and when we look at things that, look at the way that we look at history and whether we trust documents or not, and whether they're truth that we can say are act, historically accurate, the Scriptures hold up to that test. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Alexander the Great? How many of you have heard of him? Okay, so many hands all across the room. Do you know how many biographies there are that really actually talk about Alexander the Great? We only have about two. And the closest one to when he was around was written 400 years after he was around. So if you had someone who was going to write a biography about your life and they didn't start for 400 years after, how accurate do you think they would be? It would be difficult, right? You'd have to have a lot of information. Now, that's not me saying that those documents are not legitimate. What I'm saying is when we look at his history and we look at Alexander the Great and we say this is what we need, two documents that are 400 years or more after and we can still count that person as a historical figure and we compare that to the information we have in scripture, what we have are over 25,000 pieces of documents that date back within about 90 to 120 years after the scriptures were originally written. So when you compare that, you have two documents 400 years later. You've got 20, over 25,000, some of which we can date back to within 100 years after. There's a huge difference there. There's more evidence for the New Testament as a historical document than any other ancient book we have. We could have a really long conversation about this, right? I take, I take like a whole week in my class to go, to go over this. But here's what I want us to grasp just simply. When we're thinking about whether we can trust Scripture or not, here's what I would say. There's overwhelming evidence that the Scriptures we have are actually, we can trust them. We can trust that we have the documents that the original authors wrote, and we can see that the Scriptures have had the ability to prove themselves when it comes to prophecy and then fulfilling that in the coming years. We can have more conversation about that, and if you'd like to, please let me know. I would love to have that conversation with you. But that's where I want to land on that question for today. So I think it's obvious that we can trust Scripture. So we have to go to the second question. What does the Bible teach? So here's what we can say, right? You could say, well, okay, fine. The Bible is historically accurate. That's fine. We have a lot of historically accurate documents from a lot of people. There's also a lot of people who wrote historically accurate documents who I do not trust or don't want to live like, okay? So we have to look at Scripture and say, first of all, does it actually make the claim that we should live by it? Or is that something that people have made up? And then if that's true, that the Bible does say that we should live by it and we are encouraged to make it our authority, does it teach things that we actually think are going to have a positive influence, not on just our own lives, but the people around us? So to talk about this idea, I want to go to 2 Timothy 3. 16 and 17. And if you've been in church for a while, you may have heard this before, but if you haven't, let's talk about it together. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So the question, right, does the Bible actually claim that it should be an authority on our lives? Yes, it does. Paul, through Timothy, when he's writing to Timothy, says that we should use Scripture 
and that it's going to teach us right from wrong. It's going to teach us how we should adjust our lives. It's going to be something that leads us in a positive direction. Okay, so then we have to go to the central person of Scripture, right? Let's go to Jesus. Let's start there and look at what Jesus taught and say, can we actually ascribe this to our lives? Is that something that we would want to do? And so where we're going to go to look at that is going to be Matthew 22, 37 to 40. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So let's think about this in a little bit of a different light, right? Jesus gives us two ideas here. So let's put it into context we might understand today. If you were going to, maybe you started a new job, or you went to a new school, or you joined a new team, right? The first couple of days there, you're getting to know people, you're meeting different people, you're seeing the facility, figuring out where your classes are, all that kind of stuff, right? You're just getting used to this new space and getting used to what the norms are and what people act like and how we interact and things like that. And at some point over that process, the person who's guiding you or teaching you or giving you your tour, right? They say, listen, all we have to tell you is there's two rules here. There's only two rules that we ever follow, right? You say, okay, what are they? First rule, always respect the boss or always respect the teacher or always respect the coach, okay? Not a shocker that that would be a rule, right? Something that we typically are used to when you enter a new environment and there's a person who's in authority there saying, hey, we're just going to respect that person. We're not going to talk badly about that person. We're going to listen when that person has something to say to us, right? We teach this to our kids all the time, right? Not a rule that is abnormal in any context. You're like, okay, that's fine. First rule, I can do that. That's fine. What's the second rule? They say the second rule is simply just don't be a jerk to anybody, right? Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. Do to them what you want them to do to you. Share, Show the same courtesy to them that you want them to share to you. And you say that's the only two rules? That's the only two rules. Now, let me ask you guys a question. If we all lived by those two rules, do you think we get along pretty well? Probably, right? Now, this is a very, this is only one section of scripture of what Jesus taught, right? There's a lot of what Jesus taught. But what Jesus says in this passage is all the things that were taught in the Old Testament, all the things that we're talking about in the New Testament, if you live by these rules where we just say, we're going to honor God, we're going to love God first, and then we're going to honor the people around us as much as possible and treat them the way that we want to be treated, he says, you will then fulfill all the rules we've talked about. I would say that this teaching as a central core of what Jesus was teaching at the time is a good place for us to kind of land and say, yes, we think that scripture, when it teaches us what to do and what not to do, is a positive influence, not just on my life, but on the lives of people around us. It teaches me to honor the right people or the right God, and it also teaches me to honor the people that are around me, and it will cause me to have better relationships with those around me. And so if we ascribe to these two truths, it would be a positive thing. And so when we look at scripture and say, what does the Bible teach? Is it teaching things that we can follow? I think the answer is yes. We would all say that there are positive things in scripture that we can follow and have become part, good parts of our life if we're willing to ascribe to these truths. So the third question is this, what impact should the Bible have on my life? So if it's true, if I can trust it, 
if it's teaching me positive things that I think I should listen to, then what impact should it, should it have on my life? I want to go back to our Second Timothy passage just briefly because I think that there is a tension in this in these verses that we don't always recognize. And I think this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. For us, As if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is also where it kind of gets interesting because there's a transition that happens in these verses that I think we don't always see. And I want to point it out today. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Now imagine, we just put a period right there after the word true. We throw out the rest of the information here. Okay? So let's just read it one more time. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Period. Done. I think we could get a lot of people to agree with that phrase. I think there are a lot of people who wouldn't even be Christians who would say, do I think the Bible is inspired by God? Well, maybe. And is it useful to teach us what is true? Maybe, at least a little bit, right? Some people would say, I at least believe some of the Bible is true. But here's the problem. The next sentence, it doesn't end there, right? The next sentence gets a little bit in your face and says, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Now you're getting touchy, right? Now all of a sudden, this isn't just a book that has some truth in it. It's a book that now gets to tell me how to live. That gets a little bit more frustrating. Let's keep going. It says it corrects us when we're wrong. Don't necessarily like that either. And teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So here's the tension, right? We can agree that some of scripture is true. We could agree, even maybe agree that a lot of scripture is true. But then when we say, but also we have to be willing to allow it to tell us when we're wrong and then change our lives when it says so, that's where the tension is, right? And that's where we have the issue of having to make the decision whether we're going to live by scripture or not, whether we're going to make it that authority on our lives or not. Here's what I think we have to understand and and why it gets frustrating to us as humans is that biblical truth is not decided by human opinion. That's frustrating is it frustrating for me sometimes? For sure. Because I w- there's many verses in here I wish I could just use as leverage for me, but then ignore other verses, right? And there are times we realize what's going on in our lives, and then we have to ascribe to Scripture and kind of say, okay, like I have to realize what I've been doing is wrong, and I have to make that change. I remember when I was younger, and we like I think I was maybe in middle school, and the Internet was something that we were then able to really jump into and be a part of. And me and my friends realized that on the Internet – People were putting music on there that then you could download and just have without paying for it, right? And we didn't realize, like as a middle schooler at the time, we were kind of just like, well, it's on the internet, so it's free, right? That's what we didn't understand at the time. And so we would get inter- it, we would have people download for us and burn us a CD or we would do it and give it to them and whatever. And we had to realize at some point we were stealing. We honestly didn't realize it at the time. But we had to recognize that what we're doing is wrong and we're taking from the artist that put it out there. The person who put this online was not the artist, right, for me to download and have for free. And so sometimes this is a situation where it's not even that we tried to do anything wrong. But we just have to realize, okay, what I'm doing 
isn't right. And we have to, if I wanted to use my own authority in that situation, I'd be like, no one's going to stop me right now. So I might as well just keep downloading and ignore some passages of the Bible that say stealing's wrong, right? But I don't get to define what truth is. Biblical truth is based on the Bible and whether it's true and what it teaches us to do. And if I was going to love the person who put, who created the music, right, I should pay for that music. That's what I had to learn in that moment. And it gets frustrating to us that we can't define that sometimes, or we try and ignore it, or we try and pick and choose different areas of scripture that are right and wrong or that we want to ascribe to. And what we have to recognize is we can't do that. If we're going to say that the Bible is true, we can trust it. It teaches us positive things. We have to ascribe to all of it. And that can be a difficult thing for us to swallow. I don't know if you've ever heard this story before, um, but I found this quote and I've heard of this before, and this is from Mark Driscoll. is in a book that I was reading, and he talks about this. He says, we cannot be like Thomas Jefferson, who brazenly sat down in the White House with a razor in one hand and the Bible in the other and cut out the portions he rejected, asserting his authority over the authority of the Lord. Have you heard that before? Did you know that was true? Sat down, took the pieces that he didn't like, right? He just opens it. Rips out this page. I don't like that page. Let's keep going, right? I don't like that page either. Rip it out, right? And you might say, I've never done that, right? I've never taken the Bible and cut pieces out of it. I would never do that. But the real question is, are we living that way? We might not be willing to rip pages out or chop things out or whatever, right? But our, as we live, are our lives saying that we believe the Bible and all of it? And are we living by that truth? And that's what we have to evaluate as we talk about this idea of biblical truth and authority. I believe that what the Bible gives us is timeless truth. And another way to understand that is it's absolute truth, right? It's never going to change. If you've ever played in a league where there was a championship, right, you know that somebody wins one year, or maybe you cheer for a team that wins or doesn't win sometimes, right? Win a championship. How long does that last? A year. Now, if you're really good, it'll last two, maybe three, right? But at some point, the champion's going to change. The truth is going to be different as to who's actually the reigning champion of that league. But what the Bible teaches us is not something that's going to change. In fact, I believe that timeless truth has no expiration. When we ascribe to scripture and we say, we're going to believe this wholeheartedly, we're going to say that it is the authority on our life. What's not going to happen is you're not going to decide that today and then 10 years from now, this document is going to be outdated and what it teaches is not going to be profitable for you anymore. I believe that when we give ourselves over to biblical truth and authority, it's something that's going to be a benefit for us through our lives and not something that's ever going to be detrimental. It's a truth that's not going to change. There are truths that change. But timeless truth and absolute truth do not change. There's a last piece of this I want to talk about just briefly. And I think there's two aspects to this. And it's that timeless truth demands a lifelong declaration. When you understand something to be true and something so deeply that it's an absolute authority on your life. It demands a lifelong declaration. 
I think that means personally for us as believers. I think it also means publicly. So personally, what does that mean? It is that commitment that we're going to, like Paul says in Timothy, look at Scripture and say, when it tells me I'm doing something wrong, I'm actually going to address it and change it. When it says I should do something differently, when I see Jesus teaching and I feel like he's moving and making me grow in a certain area, I'm going to do that and I'm not going to ignore it. And you have to evaluate that for yourself, right? Am I doing that on a daily basis? Am I looking at biblical truth and saying, I'm going to live this out every single day? The second part is publicly. If you know something to be true, and it's absolutely true, and you believe it's better and amazing, and you want other people to hear about it, you're going to tell them. But it gets awkward, right? Because what you also know is that because you've ascribed yourself to absolute truth, you know that there's going to need to be change at some point. So we can talk to other people about Jesus, and there's going to be a moment where they're going to have to realize the same thing you did and say, this, bio, this book is asking me to change. Jesus is calling me to change through Scripture. It can be an awkward thing. But if we really truly believe that the Bible is absolute truth and it's an absolute authority on our lives, there has to be a public declaration of that as well. As we live and interact with other people and say, I really believe that this would be the best thing for you. I really believe that this is the Savior you should follow. So let's go back to the beginning, right? To our first four categories we fall into. If you've ascribed to this truth, you've never really doubted it. It's just always been a part of who you are. You've got to ask the question, am I living that out day to day? Is it just something that kind of lives up here in my head and I believe it and I'll say it but is it actually having a bearing on my life each and every day? Same thing for the second person who maybe made the decision later in life and you kind of came to the point where you said, I have to make a change, right? I have to decide that I'm going to live for Jesus and not live for myself. And that's continuing. Is that happening for you every day? For the person who doubts this and says, I don't know that I believe it's true. I would ask you, what do we talk about today? that might answer some of the questions that you have and how can you ha continue to have that conversation and figure out where you stand on this topic. The fourth person who would say they're a Christian but would say, I doubt some of this. I would just say, keep asking questions. Keep having the conversation. Don't stop. Because when we continue to evaluate Scripture, what I believe is going to happen is you're going to continue to see the truth that continues to come out of it and come out of it and come out of it. And it will show you that you can trust this and you can live the way that Jesus has called you to live. So you might say, how do I put this into practice today? How do I think about this and do this on a regular basis? I would say if, if you're challenging yourself to make sure you're living by this truth on a daily basis, it's got to be infused into your day, right? Scripture has to be something that you go back to on a daily basis. Now, the way that we say that sometimes is, you could go and sit down and read scripture for a while. That is a way to do it. But there's other ways to do it as well. You could simply take a verse every week, put it on a sticky note, and put it somewhere you'll see it every day. Put it on the bathroom mirror, put it in your car mirror, put it somewhere that you're going to, in your locker, somewhere you're going to see it every day and say, I'm just going to think about and try and put that verse into action this week and keep rotating that verse. You could also have a reminder that just pops up on your phone with a verse every day, and it just becomes something where God's word pops in and out of your day, and it's something that you're reminded of, and your goal 
is to live the way that it's called us to live because you believe that it's true and you believe that it has authority on how we should live. This is going to be a contention point with those who aren't believers, right? It's going to be difficult when we say, hey, we should live by Scripture. It's difficult. But remember, when we have that conversation, there was a day where you actually weren't a believer either. And we can sit down and have this conversation with people and say, hey, this is why I believe it. This is the change that's made in my life. This is why I think you should make the same change. And compassionately, we can share why we hold this book as truth. If you have more questions about this, I'd love to have, have that conversation, especially if there's doubts about whether we should trust Scripture. But what I believe is that it's, it should be an authority on our lives. It, should, it is 100% true, and that we can put our trust in Scripture every single day. Let's pray before we end this morning. Lord, thank you again that we have Scripture. Thank you for that gift that we can go to it and we can learn from it. And I ask that you would give us the strength to be able to put it to practice. And at times when we look at Scripture and we say, man, that's a change I'm going to have to make. That's something I haven't been living out, even if we don't realize it, that we would have that leading in our lives and that we would be willing to make that change because we believe it's the best thing for us and it's what you've called us to be. I pray that we would challenge each other as individuals to live this out, that we would be people who challenge one another to live as the Bible has called us to live and that we would declare the timeless truth we know in our own lives and to those around us in our community. We thank you that we get to spur each other on in this process. And again, we thank you for the gift that scripture is to us. In Jesus' name, amen.